And good afternoon, I'm Al Cresta. We're hoping to speak in just a few minutes with uh, Benedict Rogers. Uh, He is chief executive of Hong Kong Watch. He's been a guest on this program a few times over the years, and it's been really very uh, very good, very reliable guest. He is a human rights activist specializing in Asia. He writes on Christian solidarity worldwide. He also serves with the United Kingdom's Conservative Party's Human Rights Commission. Uh, we are reaching, you know, trying to reach him right now. But as we as we wait to uh, connect with Benedict, let me just uh, point out that on March 14th, he received a formal warning from the Hong Kong Police Force's National Security Department. Uh, this was a warning regarding his organization, Hong Kong Watch. Now, he started Hong Kong Watch back in 2017. Uh, it's a, a you know, non-governmental organization, and it's there tracking human rights, freedoms. It's tracking the rule of law in Hong Kong, which uh, was a former British colony. Um, the police have said that Hong Kong Watch could incur a fine you know, uh, of around $12,800 is what it comes up, what the dollars come out to. Uh, And he could face three years in jail under this national security law that came into force in July of 2020. Uh, They also demanded that they shut down the website. So I'm anxious to hear from Benedict. Uh, I'm hoping that our difficulty in reaching him right now has nothing to do with what's happened uh, in Hong Kong. But uh, we'll we'll uh, let you know as soon as we find out. Um, the British Foreign Secretary Liz Truss did say that this action against Hong Kong Watch was unjustifiable, clearly an attempt to silence those who stand up for human rights in Hong Kong. Uh, Sam Brownbeck, you might remember Sam, uh, he's former U.S. ambassador at large for international religious freedoms. He said, it's, quote, it's unbelievable uh, that the Chinese government would try to close such a reputable group. The tragic elimination of basic human rights in China and Hong Kong will inevitably lead to economic and security declines. So you're seeing that this is uh, this is this story has some legs to it. Uh, David Alton, uh, an independent member of the House of Lords, which is the upper house of the United Kingdom Parliament, also said, quote, this represents a significant escalation in the Chinese Communist Party's regime's attempt to silence dissent well beyond its borders. And it signifies the attempted application of the abhorrent extraterritoriality clause of the draconian national security law, which Beijing imposed on Hong Kong, a lot of lot of uh, you know words, abstract words there, but basically the point that David Alton is making, and he's trying to make it in the context of this national security law, which Beijing uh, really forced on Hong Kong, that look, Hong Kong is not uh, mainland China. And uh, they're trying to apply mainland China Communist Party standards to what was, in fact, uh, up until recently, a flourishing uh, democracy. It's a direct assault on freedom of expression, 
it's a, a shocking attempt to intimidate and threaten an organization that's been at the forefront of global advocacy for Hong Kong. You might remember Chris Patton. Chris Patton was the uh, British governor of Hong Kong, the last British governor of Hong Kong. And I, can, I remember at that time uh, I was heading up a, a Catholic newspaper called Credo when uh, Hong Kong was turned over to uh, the communist Chinese. And uh, Chris Patton was, as I said, the last British governor of Hong Kong. He's also been a patron of uh, uh, Benedict's Hong Kong Watch. And he said, this is another disgraceful attempt uh, of Mr. Putin's friends in Beijing and their quislings in Hong Kong, trying not only to stamp out freedom of expression and information in Hong Kong, but also to internationalize their campaign against evidence, freedom, and honesty. So... uh, Unfortunately, we're not able to reach uh, Benedict. We had him scheduled. Uh, we had him scheduled for our conversation today, and we are going to check and see what we can to find out if there's been any change in his status there. We are living, they say, we're living in a time where we appear to have great change, internationally, great change. You remember, of course, most of you remember the Cold War, I think. Uh, We have a generation now that has no memory of it at all. Those of us who grew up during the Cold War have certain instincts, certain things that were drilled into us, certain real suspicions of autocratic and uh, certainly totalitarian governments. Uh, We grew up thinking the Soviet Union was atheistic. It was. I mean, that It was explicitly an atheistic country. That's what it taught in the public schools. That's what it it was about. And we also believe that uh, it did not have the kind of freedoms that we identify with our Bill of Rights. You know, freedom of the press, freedom of religion, freedom of association. We used to joke, right, that... um, the Soviet Union had to build a wall to keep people in. We were always trying to keep people out because they wanted to be here in the United States. The Soviet Union had to build walls to keep people in. And we grew up understanding these things. We grew up understanding that there was a conflict in the greater world in which we lived between the forces of freedom, uh, liberty, uh, and in many ways, what we would call kind of a Judeo-Christian approach to life. And that was paired over against the atheistic, totalitarian, communist Soviet Union. Okay. Well, in 1989, 1990, 1991, we see the Soviet Union collapse. We see the nations that made up the Soviet Union uh, drift away from Moscow, and we saw the nations of the Warsaw Pact, uh, uh, Poland, uh, Hungary, Romania. We saw them, uh, you know, uh, break free and declare independence. And they've had varying degrees of success. Estonia uh, has d- done very well. They were, I think, the first of the Soviet Union uh, 
nations that split up. Split up. Uh, Poland, of course, was the first of the Warsaw Pact nations. And so after that, 1991, we see that the United States is all of a sudden the only big dog. Uh, 1994, Ukraine gives up its nuclear weapons with the promise that they would not be invaded by Russia or the, or the West. And we, we, thought, we thought we had it easy. We thought it was going to be ordered liberty. We thought it was going to be democracy. We thought it was going to be free markets. We thought that the way of life that we identify with, the West, the uh, spirit of democratic capitalism, the Judeo-Christian sensibilities, right? Uh, we thought well, even the United Nations uh, human rights uh, document, we, we thought that that was the wave of the international future. Now what we see is we've moved from bipolarity in the Cold War, the United States over against the Soviet Union, we move from that to unipolarity, one pole, the United States, that seemed to be the way of the future. Now we've moved to multipolarity. And you have autocratic nations like China, Russia, Iran, and no doubt others, Cuba will probably be in there too, all beginning to see that their future depends upon limiting, pushing back against the United States, NATO, the European Union. Again, those institutions that we call the West. Now, for Catholics in particular, why is this important? It's important because, of course, the Catholic faith has had a disproportionate impact on the formation of the West, much more so than we've had in Asia or Africa, you know. So uh, the, the there's a lot more Catholic capital, you might say, spiritual capital, uh, intellectual capital in the West than there is in other portions of the world. We don't want to be limited because the gospel is to go into every people, right? It is a universal gospel, so we don't want to limit ourselves we don't want to just be defenders of the West. We want to be defenders of the faith, and the faith is universal. It's meant to go to all peoples. That's Jesus died for all. <clears throat> so you have to always keep that in mind because there's a tendency for uh, Christians to get comfortable, to have, you know, to uh, fall to at ease in Zion, so to speak, where we're just comfortable doing our, our thing. And we forget that we're also sent, get out, move out. We have a lot more invested in the West than we do in the other areas of the world. Freedom of religion is critical. You know, I'm, I'm going to speak later today about Constantine the Great the first Roman emperor who was converted to the Christian faith. And one of his great achievements was to give the church liberty. And um, uh, 
we are accustomed to having freedom to preach the gospel. That is not true in Russia. There's the Russian Orthodox Church, but they put the clamps on uh, Protestant groups that come in there, Catholic groups. And of course, there's no freedom to preach the gospel in China, and certainly not in Iran. So we need to be thinking about the future of the gospel. 